Money FM 89.3, best of drive time. It's time now to turn our attention to headlines coming out of the United States. From U.S. President Joe Biden finally signing a bill that suspends the U.S. government's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling, averting what would have been a first-ever default, with just two days to spare, by the way. Uh, plus, the U.S. at the Shangri-La Dialogue. Uh, did they achieve anything at the events? On the line to help me out is Trisha Craig, who is Vice President Engagement and Senior Lecturer of Social Sciences, Sociology and Political Science at Yale and U.S. College. Trisha, good afternoon. How how are you? Um, well, hi there, Elliot. Yeah, it's been a while. Certainly hope uh, things have been good. Got quite a few things to cover now that the drama is over in the United States. That bill has been signed. Uh, close call. Uh, I kind of feel that every year it's a close call, isn't it? It is. Well, you know, this year it was and it wasn't. I think if you if you look at the Republican leadership, like Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, House Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy, look, they understood how catastrophic it would be for the U.S. to default. So it was going to pass. But it took a long time because the Republicans wanted to get some concessions out of this. The Trump base of the party was content to let it go to default. So I think McCarthy was also attentive to some of the optics within the party. So an early agreement might have made it seem like he was kind of caving to Biden. Um, so that wouldn't have been such a great thing. But it was going to pass. Mm. Uh, nonetheless, I mean, as uh, President Biden called it, a crisis averted. Because it keeps happening every year, I mean, is it really fair to say it's something that's averted, a crisis that's averted? I mean, um, is it fair to look at this discussion as one side won or the other side loss? Do you see it that way? Well, you know, was the crisis averted? for now, but no, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. This keeps happening. One of the, one of the concessions or one, one of the agreements that comes out of this is that at least it won't happen next year, but it has been put mm-hmm. ahead to 2025. So we won't have to face another debt ceiling showdown during the presidential race, but it okay. has not fixed the problem. It just pushed it off here. And in terms of winners and losers, look, there are always winners and losers in these mm-hmm. things. Biden, I, look, I would say the two of the big winners were Biden and McCarthy, right? So some things people didn't get. Biden okay. didn't get his clean debt ceiling approval, but he mm. got a lot of what he wanted. And one of the things that McCarthy showed is that he has control of the Republican conference and he can point to some concessions. So, so, it's, a win. so it's a win-win and it also shows that these two can't work together for, for lack of a better choice of words, I, I guess. Um, could this be used as a launch pad for both or, or either the Democrats or the Republicans going into 2024? The election. Absolutely. I mean, I think for Biden, one of the things that it really did was it burnished his credentials as a bipartisan dealmaker, right? This is a kind of throwback to a style of politics that that used to be the case in the U.S., but with polarization has been less true. And so Biden, you know, one of his uh, arguments is that he can cross the aisle. It also he can highlight during the campaign that he avoided economic chaos. Um, that, of course, is helped by the good job numbers and the continuing resilience of the U.S. economy. For the Republicans, I think it's a little bit trickier, right, because all of the major candidates um, right after the deal was signed in an effort, I think, to placate the base said it was a bad deal. Uh, you know, they weren't happy with it. But so far, at least McCarthy is able to show that he can control the party in the Congress. Well, 2024 is going to be quite interesting. Uh, let's take it back home where uh, the U.S. Uh, was at the Shangri-La Dialogue in the form of uh, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin attending the event. Uh, any highlights uh, of his appearance at the event for you? What stood out? So 
Well, for me, I think there, there are a couple of things that were interesting. He highlighted U.S. military alliance and engagements in the region as a way to deter conflict. One of the things he talked about was how devastating for the world a conflict over Taiwan would be. He also reaffirmed U.S. commitment to countries in the region. And he urged China to come back to the table for defense talks. Mm. So what I think is really important here is it was laying out Washington's military engagements in the region as a deterrence against open conflict and reassuring Indo-Pacific countries that the U.S. is there for them. Right. I mean, as far as security talks are concerned, it's about, as you mentioned, re-engaging and showcasing where they are where, on the map. Uh, would you say it's, it's a success then, uh, the U.S.'s um, narrative at the Shangri-La Dialogue? I think it's a start. I think there's always some concern about, you know, the U.S.'s engagement in the region, given all of its engagements around the world. But he did set out a very clear vision for the U.S. in the Indo-Pacific. He highlighted partnerships like the Quad and AUKUS, and he talked about expanding cooperation with ASEAN. And I think for countries in the region, at least hearing that is a positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did see China blasting the U.S. at the dialogue, <laughs> expected. Uh, the two countries, of course, are trading blame on each other. So, so it's a bit of a two-part question, uh, Trisha, if you don't mind. Hopes for military dialogue, is this fading? Um, Follow-up, will there ever be a right time for, for these two countries to talk? What needs to be done? Well, you're right. As you mentioned, the, the Chinese were not happy with the talk. They blasted it. You know, they see the U.S. outreach and strengthening of military alliances in the region as a highly aggressive posture towards them. And they see the U.S. stance towards Taiwan as interfering in China's domestic affairs. One of the Chinese spokesmen at the dialogue said, look, you can't ask for dialogue. It's the same time you're trying to suppress us. There was a a note before the conference that uh, China had declined a meeting between um, Secretary Austin and his counterpart, General Lee, the defense minister. So will there ever be a right time to talk? Well, one of the things that the Chinese are um, insisting on is that to to come to talks, Defense Minister Lee, he is under Trump-era sanctions uh, for buying uh, combat aircraft from Russia's main arms exporters. I think right now, politically, it would be very difficult for the Biden administration to lift sanctions that the Trump administration had put on during election year, given how much anti-China sentiment there is. But I think it's also important to note that, look, there are meetings going on, right? U.S. officials like National Security Advisor, the head of the CIA, the Commerce Secretary, they have all met recently with their Chinese counterparts. So it's not like there's no dialogue going on. And just yesterday, Jake Sullivan, who's the National Security Advisor, he stated that at some point, uh, President Biden and President Xi will, in fact, meet. So I think, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric around this, but I don't think either side is closing off the possibilities, even though we are at a time of heightened tensions. All right. I've been speaking with Tricia Craig, Vice President, Engagement and Senior Lecturer of Social Sciences, Sociology and Political Science at Yale and U.S. College. As always, it's great speaking with you, Tricia. You take care and have a great week ahead. Thanks so much, Elliot. You too. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.